This is your guys' first game, right? You guys haven't been making any of your games before that. Did you guys do like jams prior or kind of what's your what's your background in development? We did a lot of hobby stuff together for years. Uh, I mean, even as far back as like high school, we were doing little things in like um, Game Maker, RPG Maker, um, you know, dabbling in Unity and stuff. But as far as like actually making a product that was like publicly visible and actually you know for sale mm -hmm. this is yeah this is our first go what was kind of what was the approach when you started to brainstorm this game was it like you wanted to attack the industry from kind of finding a new element in an indie game to kind of bring that in to draw attention to it or did you guys just come up with the idea and you really loved it kind of what was the approach when you first started uh, i guess thinking about this title so it was honestly a really long kind of windy path to get here so we actually started working on Arcania in like middle of 2019 was when that kind of became like officially a thing pretty much about whenever our, our Twitter went up actually which I think was I think was October of 2019 but uh, we had really been discussing the game on and off since 2015 2016 but it had just taken so many different forms over that time and like you know it had different names it was different ideas i mean I, I, at one point we were just talking about doing essentially what was going to be like a, a zelda rom hack okay basically that was the initial idea was because um i think rob had uh, just finished replaying um one of the oracles games and we both really love those so as i do once every year and a half or so <laughs> yeah and so yeah and rob was like hey let's do you know let's let's do like a fan um like rom hack essentially okay one of these and that just kind of evolved into now it's its own thing well i it was one of those things where it's like you know we're spending all this time doing this why don't we just like make our own art mm -hmm. and make a game that's a little different and uh try to sell it instead you know it's like might, might as well okay is that so with unity you know usually it's more geared towards i would say like 3d style games games that are a little bit more like i guess you say realistic in a sense where it's like you're leaning more towards like an ultra realistic style when you're animating so with this game was there ever a thought to kind of lean more towards something like game maker or something that kind of leans more in on like a top-down style pixelated art aesthetic or or was it always just unity because that's kind of what you knew and what you were focusing on yeah so actually we started in godot and i had even looked at because i i used game maker way back in the day mm -hmm. um you know i i started with i think game maker 7 and i had uh i had game maker studio and so i was i was kind of familiar with the environment but that was one of the early thoughts that I had had as well. Um, but we actually went to Godot because Godot was like new and hot at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was new. Yeah. Uh, and so we quickly ran into things where it's like, I don't know how to do this. There's not information out there for how to do it. Uh, I think the the final straw was so I like to do a lot of uh, animated tiles. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you're you're familiar with like um, like how tile sets work and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you know, like, uh, so we were working on this dungeon that had a bunch of lava in it. Okay, and I was trying to figure out how to get the lava animated, but we were using a program called Tiled to make the maps. 
and um, and once it would, uh, they, they would be animated and tiled, but then once we get it imported into Godot, it'd be a whole hassle to get them to stay animated. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think they've solved that problem now because Godot's like gotten way better since then. But at the time, it's just like I'm beating my head against the wall. Yeah. Here. I know how to do this in Unity. Yeah. Let's just do it in Unity. Okay, that makes uh, sense. Well. And to add to that, too, uh, we made the swap to Unity, I would say, early 2022, mm-hmm. like right. mid 2020, like or, or sorry, 2020. Yeah, yeah. that's this year. <laughs> Time doesn't exist anymore. I meant, I meant to say 2020. You're yeah. good. So 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 the, the year that our Kickstarter was. Yeah, uh, we, we made the swap to Unity and that was partially motivated by publishers, too, mm-hmm. um, just because at the time Godot was smaller. Um, the chances of getting a Godot game on the Nintendo Switch is was a lot lower, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, it's, um, the, the porting process is much more difficult, and still is. So, People have done it, but it's more difficult. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was just it was uh, it was an ease of mind thing. It's like, oh well, if we do it in Unity, we don't have to worry about porting as much. It's gonna it's gonna work more fluidly. So okay, you know. talk to me about kind of the game world as a whole itself. Kind of talk to me about what players can expect. Talk to me about. Is it, I guess my question would be first off, is it open world? Is it semi? Is it just a linear map base? Kind of how does that work and, and kind of how does it evolve as the, as the game progresses? Uh, if you've played a like top-down 2D Zelda game, mm. you kind of know what to expect. So you're going to have like an overworld. Um, ours is split up into, you know, like instance zones. So like you'll go into a new area, you'll hit a loading screen. Mm. And when you come out the loading screen, you're like, you know, you're somewhere different. So it's not a single like complete map, like something like uh, like Link to the Past where the whole overworld is like a single map, mm. right? We've got these, uh, these different zones with loading screens in between, but spread throughout that we have you know the other typical things you would expect in in a game like zelda so you've got caves you've got dungeons you've got like buildings you can enter but it's it's semi-linear there is an intended path for you to go through the game Mm -hmm. um it's like you're you're meant to be certain places at certain times but you're free to move back and forth in those places and to an extent you know, even go places you're not supposed to be as long as you have the abilities that you need to access those places. Was it was it always designed that way or did it start out more? Oh, it was. OK. Yeah. So so it's it's the way I like to explain it is uh, it's like linear subsections, mm-hmm. I guess, because like fr- from when you start the game until the end of the first dungeon, it's very linear. Mm-hmm. There's not many extra places you can go uh, as soon as you beat the first dungeon. Um, the next few areas open up mm. and this uh this in- includes like a whole loop that goes around uh like you get the town you get the forest up north of the forest there's a little path that leads over to the zone where the third dungeon is and um i i don't know if this is still your intention we we harrison we we had originally wanted the second or third dungeon to be interchangeable story-wise is that something yep, you've yep. yeah yeah okay so I, I i wasn't sure if that was in in your rewrite rewrite we had a small story rewrite to make some stuff uh okay make a bit more sense but it, yeah uh, yeah um but the idea is that there is a set linear path but in these little chunks mm. You can kind of do stuff in whatever order you want. Okay. You can go do our second dungeon first. You can go do our third dungeon first, but those two have to be done before you move on to the fourth dungeon. Gotcha. Okay. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So with the dungeons themselves, I was trying to figure out exactly how they were set up. Are they 
you know, is it kind of like a roguelite sense where where the dungeons are the are they procedurally generated? Are they preset kind of like a Metroidvania style? Kind of what's the layout for them within the game? The layouts of the dungeons are predetermined. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and they will always be the same when you go in there. Uh, we have a randomized loot system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you go into a dungeon and say Zelda, you know, you always know like this chest that has 20 rupees in it is always going to be in this room and, you know, and, and such and such is going to be over here. We have, so when you enter the dungeon, we have a uh, instancing system, you know, that uh, MMO players might be familiar with that is, but basically what it is, is it every time you, well, not every time, when you first enter the dungeon, mm-hmm. it creates a session for that dungeon. Uh, and that session persists until you kill the boss. Okay. And so at the beginning of each session, it will spawn uh, random loot in different parts of the dungeons. So like chests will be in completely different places every time. Uh, we're looking into having enemies that are similar, like, um, you know, special enemies mm-hmm. that are maybe a little little more difficult and don't always spawn. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're still kind of like fishing around for different elements like that. Like, how can we make it so when you come back, it's a little different experience? Because that is something we, even though the layout is always the same, we do want players to come back to the dungeons. First of all, because our, our loot system, you know, the, the uh, selling treasure for money and then using the money to buy stuff is like part of the core loop of the game. Okay. So, you know, how are you going to farm this treasure? Well, the, the, the best way to do it is going to be to go into a dungeon mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and scoop up all the treasure in there. Um, but we want it to be a little interesting every time you come back. And, you know, sometimes there's going to be like, uh, there's like a branch of the dungeon that you couldn't go down last time because you didn't have a particular item. Well, you come back later with that item. Now, like a new section of the dungeon opens up. Right. And, and uh, our, our goal with uh, the system is to make the dungeons the preferred way. Like, you know, it, let's say there's an expensive item you want in a Zelda game. We'll use the rupee vest in Twilight Princess. Mm-hmm. Right? There's like that money vest that you have to say it's like 800 rupees or whatever to buy it. Yeah. Well, what you'd have to do is go out into the world and just kill random monsters until you get off of rupees. Right. Which can be annoying. Take what, you know, it, we wanted stuff like that to have a more engaging experience like oh you kill the boss well this is the second time you've killed the boss he's not going to drop a health upgrade this time but he's going to drop a guaranteed valuable piece of treasure okay and maybe that treasure has use in a side quest too you know Mm. so that's sort of where we're headed with that okay um as far as the roguelike elements uh, really it's 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 as roguelike as like dark souls is i guess i mean not i i hate doing you know it's like dark souls because our game is nothing like dark souls Mm. but when you die you drop your treasure but not your money so the, the, the roguelike goal is to, you know, I have all this treasure on me. Do I want to risk pressing forward to the boss mm. or do I want to go back and sell and keep what I have okay. more or less? You know, it kind of. So the reason I say Dark Souls, because you drop your souls, but you can go get them. You can't go get them in our game. Once you die, the treasure's gone. <laughs> so so it's uh, a little yeah. bit more of a, 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 co- a risk assessment. When you guys but, when you guys say sell items, is there, a, is there like a central hub you're going back to? Or is there like a starting yeah. point? Talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. So um, so we have a treasure merchant mm-hmm. named uh, Renzo, and he's got this business that 
he uh, he he has a few uh, underlings that uh, he runs it with, and they're spread throughout the world. Uh, but there are certain places uh, throughout the world that you need to make it back to with your treasure to offload it, and you know, and and not risk losing it. So. Yeah, it's it's not just a matter of, you know, my health is getting kind of low mm. I don't have any consumables, I better leave this dungeon. You also need to make a plan for the return trip back to like, you know, figure out where where is the nearest place I can dump all of this and how can I safely get there in my current state. Okay. And and something else uh just to kind of share uh, design-wise on this is uh, in the first dungeon specifically that you can play in our demo right now, there's these turtle enemies that uh, you cannot interact with at all. They move slow. They're just annoying, <laughs> more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what, what's cool about those turtle enemies is if you go to the third dungeon and get the feather item, which makes a whirlwind around you, if you use that feather item next to the turtles, they'll actually flip over and allow you to kill them. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to if you like the first boss and you want to do the first boss again and that's how you want to get your treasure um after you get the third dungeon item you can make the first dungeon significantly quicker because now you don't have to wait for these turtles okay gotcha. um you know it's it's sort of like a another way other than like a branching path you can't get to the first time that we can make returning to the dungeons rewarding because it's like oh now now i don't have to deal with this this thing that I had to deal with before because I have this item now. So when players circle back, is there kind of a domino effect where certain actions they took previously will kind of impact the environment that they go back into, or is the world kind of set within itself outside of, you know, the randomized loot that you can go back and get as well to an extent. So there is at the end of each dungeon, cause there's, there's a character you're going into the dungeon to find. And so at the end of each dungeon, when you get to that person, mm-hmm. they're going to have a different dialogue the second time than they did the first time. Um, and it's going to sort of reflect that you are in here, like doing this again. Mm-hmm. We don't really have any like dramatic changes uh, planned. Like you go back and like something in there has like, you know, the layout's different or like there's different enemies or something. Um, I won't say we won't do it, but it's it's not currently planned. Okay. But uh, because you're going back the second time with the like we have the the core item for each dungeon that um, is like what you get at about the midway point, and you use that item to like solve puzzles in the second half of the dungeon. For example, in the first dungeon where you get the grappling hook, there's a lot of areas that you can't access until you have the grappling hook. Well, when you come back the second time you can just go straight to those areas and it's going to cut down the, uh, the dungeon clear time by like half. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a little different in that regard, but yeah, we're not going like crazy into like procedural generation or anything. Cause honestly, that was just, we, we had even discussed it at one point, but it's just a little too much, too much to take on for our, uh, for our first release. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, with a top down game, What's the challenge when you're designing levels, when you're designing characters, when you're you're building the mechanics within the game itself? What's the challenge in kind of attacking it from that perspective or even just from kind of a, using that pixelated art style? I'd imagine there's there's got to be some limitations there that kind of you have to maneuver around. So talk to me about that a little bit. Uh, here, I'll, I'll start here. So uh, the big thing with the pixel art is um, if if our publisher wants promotional material Mm -hmm. we have to make it if it was a 3d game we could send them the 3d files and they could you know do whatever they need to do um like a lot of a lot of that work is on us Mm -hmm. like our 
our trailer is all us. We had to spend a substantial amount, which we can't share yet for because yeah. we need to hit timing. Mm-hmm. But uh, our, our our trailer is really good, and but it was uh, all us. We had to do it because of yeah, the art style. So that's that's oh, wow. uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, we we did it in in tandem with like designing areas. So yeah, like, uh, something you might not know. A lot of a lot of game trailers are smoke and mirrors. Wizard of Ozland, like uh, the, the make the trailer look uh, like this zone is not even. It been built yet mm. but we built this set piece uh we we uh because we had to do the trailer ourselves and we have limited time we were like well uh we'll just make it take longer to make and make the actual zones so we what you see in the trailer is 100 percent stuff you actually see in the game okay um yeah. but uh when, when you eventually get to see the trailer but th- that was that was the biggest challenge in my mind uh harrison might have some other ideas though well so you're talking about like the uh the top-down perspective i wanted to do characters with some really like big and flashy uh hats mm-hmm. you know because um we so it's it's set in like an alternate history uh like medieval setting yeah and uh so i did a lot of research on fashion in the high middle ages and one of the things that is uh really common in that is like big fancy hats but it's so hard to in the perspective that our art is done in it's so hard to do like a big hat without just making the character like you can't even identify what they're supposed to be Mm -hmm. it's like you can't see their face you can't see the upper part of their body it's like so we can't (laughs) We can't put a whole lot on top of people's heads, which is a little frustrating. Um, the other thing is our our main character, Marissa. Um, she's only twenty four pixels tall, mm-hmm. and it is really hard in that few pixels to convey some of the more like subtle movements I would like to do. Like you know her her hands, you know, depending on the pose, are like two to four pixels total, mm-hmm. and so you know, with that few pixels, it's like, I can't show you what her fingers are doing. Um, I can't, you know, sometimes if she moves her arm in front of her body, it's hard to tell what is arm and what is body. Right. So it's like the, the level of detail is not always what I would prefer, but at the same time, and I guess this gets more into like the positives of it. Uh, you know, if, if I look at, some of these games where they have, um, you know, these these hugely detailed pixel characters that, um, you know, are their their pixel count is in the hundreds, and they have all the super fine detail. That would take forever. So while we do sacrifice a little bit of readability, it's a lot faster to make more art mm. if you if you keep it smaller. I was going to ask that because a lot of a lot of developers that are making their first game they use pixelated art style as a strategy because it helps them focus more on the fundamentals of the game and less on kind of pushing out a really really highly artistic game that focuses on those minute details with the characters and then the environment and stuff like that so i was wondering if that's kind of why you outside of just like the zelda inspiration and things like that if that was kind of one of those reasons you used that no exactly so Um, I had almost no background in pixel art before, uh, we started on this. I dabbled it in a bit, but I, I kind of had to learn most of these, like these art techniques, Mm -hmm. uh, to make the art that's in the game. And because of that, we didn't want to overscope on that. We didn't want to, uh, to try to do too much with the art. Yeah. 
and it just not be feasible. Now, if you look at the art um, early on in early iterations of the game, like in our first demo we put out versus our most recent demo, we, we just um, uh, we just wrapped up. You see it, it has evolved a lot. And, you know, as, as I've gotten better at doing it as, uh, you know, Rob and our, our other and our other artists have, have gotten better at what they do. Things have things have changed over time to kind of reflect that. Now, at this point, we're we're trying to kind of like cap it and say, OK, this is what the style is going to be. Mm. We can't, you know, we can't improve it anymore yeah. because then we'll just be doing it forever. Yeah, it was. We it wanted was, our game to look better than uh, Game Maker stock sprites, though, so we had yeah. to, we had to push it for. <laughs> yes, yeah, so. we we didn't want to go too big mm-hmm. and and just end up spending like years just drawing things. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So with that, I guess let's transition into like the story itself. You know, the two main characters. I guess let's start with them. Where'd they come from? And then outside of that, kind of what's the story around them as you progress? So it's it's called the girl from Arcania, mm-hmm. right? And the the girl from Arcania is the main character, uh, Marissa. So she lives in the city of Arcania, mm-hmm. which is a which is a a colonial type settlement. Um, it's it's a farming colony, um, but then there is a uh, there's another civilization on the the other side of this uh, this jungle because they're at like for them this is the edge of the known world. Yeah, like they don't know what's past that jungle. That's just where the maps like in. Okay. Um, but there's another civilization over there of um, you know people who. Uh, they've they've lived in this land for thousands of years. So in in Arcania, uh, capybaras can talk, mm-hmm. um, and so they are friends with this um, uh, this civilization of uh, well this village of talking capybaras. And so our other character, uh, Cappy, is and that's not his real name. I have that's what I have to ask. Marissa calls him. I have to right ask. Now. Where did the idea for a capybara come for, from in this game? A lot of games need like an animal companion, right? So we 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 had a side quest uh, where there was a capybara that would follow you around, mm-hmm. and the response. This is like very early development. Yeah. Uh, the 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 response of people that knew about the project, which you know they're numbering in the hundreds at this time, mm-hmm. not not the thousands, maybe, um, maybe not even a hundred people. Yeah, mm-hmm. they really liked the capybara. Okay. And we're like, and we and we. Since the small little projects we did, like like Harrison was talking about earlier in high school, we 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 wanted uh, to do something that was couch co op, and we're like, well, what if instead of a human, the other person's playing a capybara mm. because people like the capybara so much? So that sort of was like an accident, more or less. Okay, but <laughs> gotcha. Okay, I just I just wondered because that character it, it is one of the things that really popped out to me when I was looking at this game because it just. What actually popped out to me the most was it looked like a it was it looked kind of like a Laura Craft style game and then it had a capybara in it and it was really interesting as just a combination for me. So I don't know if either I don't know if Laura Craft had any inspiration on this game at all. When I was doing the research on it, it didn't seem like it, but it's just one of those two things. So, well, I, I think the main difference is you you are kind of raiding tombs. Mm. The main difference would be that the tombs that you're raiding in this game are recently lived in mm-hmm. yeah um there are skeletons and you know what like 
curses and whatnot but um those are like things that have recently happened yeah uh the first dungeon you go into is actually uh despite the sun uh the foreboding lava and the sun theme was actually the home of uh a lot of people and it is recently vacated mm. because of story implications not yeah. not you know this ancient thing that was there uh and and left gotcha uh, you know 500 years ago or whatever that, that i think that at least story-wise that's mm. the main difference yeah and it it does um and the game does touch a bit on i guess kind of the uh the ethical implications of uh Kind of like these, these, you know, these people got uh, run out of this place, and now you're going in and, you know, picking up all their their treasure and stuff. Okay. But, uh, you know, well, I, I'd like to point out, uh, Marissa's dad. Marissa's dad was kind of like a uh, highwayman, like a brigand. Mm. Like he stole, yeah. stole. He was not a good guy, uh, and he very much turned his life around when he had his daughter. But you know, uh, like like daughter, like father. Mm. So gotcha. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's 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 lighthearted, but she's not necessarily morally good <laughs> it's kind of like in, in zelda when you're like you know going into people's houses and smashing their yeah. pots and taking their money yep. and, yeah uh, and you're just supposed to kind of like not think about it well in the uh you know in arcadia it actually kind of goes into that it's like aren't you just like stealing from people okay gotcha did the story when you guys are writing it was that kind of the first thing you hit on was it the story or did you kind of think of the game world and the characters and the story came kind of later it kind of came in waves mm. so there was a story and then we developed the world and then the original story kind of got scrapped and we built a new story okay. inside of the world we had made it was kind of kind of both okay well I, you know, this isn't like a secret or anything. Uh, it's in a lot of our promotion material. There, there are actually like giant robots in the game. Okay. Uh, that that decision was made purely because both of our uh, both of our high tier backers on Kickstarter wanted to do robot bosses, and we're like, how how do we fit robot bosses in here? Mm -hmm. uh, well, what's South America known for in like like uh, aliens? Mm -hmm. Okay, well. One of, one of the fantasy races is now an alien race, not a fantasy race. <laughs> so, so that's more more or less America known for aliens. Um, <laughs> well, well, I mean, you know, like the Crystal Skull, you know, all that, you know. Yeah, Indiana you know, Jones type stuff. Yeah. yeah, you get what I'm saying, right? So, yeah. so I guess with that kind of, I know I interrupted you mid talking about the story itself. So could you kind of finish up, you know, kind of exploring exactly how the story kind of goes within the game? You if you, I about to say, if you remember where you were, I think we just finished touching on the characters. We were talking about the capybara, and then we were kind of moving into the story itself from there. The main character, Marissa, has a childhood friend, Ari, who um, she is from the like the local peoples, but she's also a uh, a very important person mm -hmm. in their in their society. She's like this um, this this highly revered priestess, but Marissa doesn't really know or understand that it's like she kind of have has a vague notion of it but it's to her this is just like you know this girl that she goes in and meets in the forest occasionally and they you know um they, they they play and they go look for treasure together well the other girl ari she gets caught up in this uh conflict between between marijo the uh uh city that she's from mm. and uh another city state called aslan which is um it's the to, to the north and uh yeah i mean they're 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 very much based on the uh on the aztecs mm. but uh so 
they have a plot where they're trying to resurrect uh, what they view as their god. And basically, they need all of these uh, Marajoran priestesses to conduct this ritual mm-hmm. that they're, they're going to do to, uh, to try to resurrect this, uh, this dead god. And so Ari gets caught up in that. And, uh, and Marissa is not really concerned about any of the like the bigger implications of this she doesn't care about this whole like religious war that's going on um you know she doesn't really care about um all the the geopolitics of it she just knows that somebody took her friend and she's got to go get a friend back and so as you're you're going through it um you know the game is kind of presenting you with all of this information trying to slowly feed in like what is actually happening here and um you know let you know the the bigger story around this but at the same time you're largely viewing it from marissa's perspective who she's just single-minded focus like the only thing i care about here is getting my friend back the rest of this is all just like you know it's nonsense i don't care about Mm. basically we we've designed it in a way that if you only care about like gameplay um, and you know, I'll, I'll be real. If you don't like reading it at all, this game's probably not for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, but, uh, if you, if you're like light reading, you're only paying attention to like what Marissa says and what Pappy says, like, you're not going to have any trouble finding out where you need to go. And you're not going to have to read that much. Um, okay. but if you care enough about the world and stuff that that information has, has, uh, it, it is there, the NPCs, all that stuff. And this was an intentional thing that we did to present it this way. Um, so that if you're just a person that wants to play an action RPG, Zelda like adventure, uh, you know, you can, you can play through minimally paying attention, get the Marissa's side of things story, because almost all of the story, like you said, is told from her perspective, which is a very limited scope. Um, you know, she wants to save her friend and there's a bad dude that took her. So we, you know, but if you care more and you want to expand and look at the other stuff, then you can, Okay. you know, so. And there's, there's also a kind of a, a subplot where, I mean, Marissa is a, a treasure hunter and she wants to be the greatest treasure hunter. So, uh, while the story is, you know, taking you to all these different places where she's trying to rescue her friend. She is also along the way making like business contacts and, uh, you know, in, in increasing her treasure hunting ability mm. and, you know, and trying to become wealthy and famous. That's, um, you know, that's running in parallel with the main plot of, you know, go save your friend. So I guess there comes in the second question. Is this, is it a linear story where you don't have like branching lines where you can kind of, where I guess decisions from like side quests, things like that impact that or, or how does that work? Because you'd mentioned there are NPCs. So kind of, will there be side quests? How do they impact the story? Can I walk me through that one really quick? Yeah. So there will be side quests. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have, um, some of these side quests are going to be pretty pretty lengthy okay and uh and the side quests are largely how we're going to like do our world building essentially mm. you know like like he was saying um you know if you don't really care about all the like big picture stuff that's going on mm-hmm. and you just want to like go through the main story you know you don't have to do any of this and it's it's not really going to uh, affect you but if you you know if you're interested in the world you want to learn more about the lore more about the history more about like what's going on outside of 
the area that I'm allowed to play in. You do these side quests, and that's how you learn all that stuff. Right. Um, mm, okay. But as far as the side quests affecting, um, you know, the main plot of the story, we've kind of discussed a possible um, like a true ending, a, a, a possible like fork in the ending where the ending might be a little different depending on one side quest. Mm. But right now that's kind of up in the air and I would lean towards, no, the side quests are not going to have any impact okay. on uh, story aside, they will have impact on your gameplay. I mean, the, yes. there's the there's a a quest involving a pirate who uh, got drunk and accidentally slept with the captain's wife, and okay. uh, uh, and if you help him out, then it unlocks a rum consumable mm. that does different things than the beer does. Okay, so, I mean, yes. like so, and you know, it, that's just a small example. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's it, we're we're trying to keep an E to teen rating, so it doesn't overtly say that he slept with the captain's mm-hmm. wife, but it, yeah, you know, subliminally, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so you you will unlock additional abilities that you don't need, mm-hmm. but they will help you if you do the side quest. So when you're building a dialogue in a game, for you guys specifically, what's kind of the most difficult part? You guys have a publisher, so you don't necessarily have to probably worry about localization, but kind of how do you approach it? You know, you'd mentioned the side quests don't necessarily impact the story, but they do help with gameplay. So kind of how do you approach it when you're building it and then integrating it into the actual like the gameplay so you're not basically putting too much reading onto players you're kind of taking them away from the experience you want to keep them engaged but you also want to bring your story in i know that's really long-winded but kind of how do you guys approach that uh one way we do is and it's it still needs some hooked up like hooking up to do Mm. harrison has the background uh work for it we don't have a quest log we wanted to keep it more you know i mean you think like the oracle I, have you, I don't know if you played the Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, but there's there's a trading like side quest mm. where you have it's like oh I got this megaphone I got to trade it to this guy he's gonna give me a cuckoo clock and you know like it goes through all this thing and it's how you upgrade your sword. Okay. Most of our side quests function like that. That you know there's a treasure that you need uh, to bring to this guy and you hand it to him and even though we don't have a quest log. There is a thing in the treasure menu that says, I'm currently looking for, and then it has a list of stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, I mean, like, keep keeping keeping the shorthand list there kind of, like, reminds people, oh, there was someone that wanted this, and then maybe they'll remember, you know, I don't know, people don't really keep notes in it when they're playing games anymore, I don't think, mm. but uh we, we we have made that keep notes for them so that that should help people kind of remember oh there was a side quest i was following over here you know if, if, even if they don't read there is reading in it you know there is engagement and kind of like the history and the backstory and things like that was there ever a thought to dial it down to try to focus more on the gameplay or did you really want to focus on a game that is kind of centered around a larger story there was definitely that thought okay. uh, because uh, I mean I'm I'm constantly trimming things out of the script uh, because if I if I didn't limit myself at all it, it would have taken just the demo content mm. would have been like five hours long and it would have all just been people talking yeah one of the one of the really difficult things about writing the script is you know how to present the information as succinctly as possible while still getting in hopefully everything I wanted to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that takes several rewrites to finally arrive at one where it's like, okay, this conveys all the info. It does it in a natural way and it doesn't just drag on and on and on. 
In terms of development itself, are you guys, and this kind of includes a story within the game, how close, I guess there really isn't a way to really focus on an exact answer, but have you guys completed the entire game world itself? Are you still building it? Is there still stuff being added in? Kind of so a lot. Uh, so there's some zone work out. that needs yeah. to be built out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have it. This has been iterated and iterated on. Um, as far as like how big this go- zone's going to be, mm. you know, what zone's going to connect to, et cetera, et cetera, and that that's all been figured out for a while. I th- I think a lot of people look at a game, uh, you know, like we'll say Minish Cap, and they'll they'll look at you know, how, how the world is and how it looks. Mm. And they look at that and they think, oh, this, you know, this is the game. That's not the game. Mm. <laughs> the, the, the game is like 70 to 80% invisible mechanisms and like systems. Mm. And all of those are done yeah. uh, completely, uh, you know, save for QA. We have to, you know, there's some bugs still that we have to fix and whatnot. Uh, that, that's an ongoing process with any game. Uh, the actual world itself, like if you were to print out every single zone that we have like zoomed out shot and put them next to each other. I'd say the world map is close to 50% like filled out. Okay. Um, but, but, but again, we can finish a zone in about a hundred hours, a hundred man hours. Mm. So like, you know, that's, that's a week for if both of him and I were working on it, that's a week for us, you know? So when we've got four or five more zones to build, you know, that's like, yeah. a, it's, it's like, like you're looking at like a realistically a month of work there. So it's it, when, when I say like 50% of the world is done, it's like, that's a lot more progressed than it sounds like it is mm-hmm. because the game system wise is like 80% finished. So you guys have a publisher right now already, which yes. So f- I guess my question would be with a lot of indie devs, they wait until right before they publish their games just because it kind of takes away that ability for a publisher to dictate certain aspects of your game. So I guess for you guys, what was the motivation to get the publisher ahead of your launch? They came to us. Okay. So I'd like to, I'd like to point out for, for other aspiring indie devs out there, you do have to be careful about publishers coming to you. Mm-hmm. Um, we had several publishers come to us. It wasn't just Top Hat. Uh, we had a couple publishers come to us and a bunch of publishers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, so you do have to you do have to be careful with that. Uh, however, you know the terms were good. No legal reasons. I can't really discuss yeah. the terms, but the term the terms were good to us. You know, I I have no complaints with them as of this date. Really, um, the the main thing is is like you can wait. Mm-hmm to get a publisher if you want, but the earlier you get it, the more they're going to be able to help you. Yeah. Um, I don't think, I, I, I think that, I, and you know, they even told us they had nothing to do with this. Our, our, our Kickstarter for some reason got put on the front page of Kickstarter, which is not common. That that's like a luck thing. And you're, you're like, Hey, you guys are the first people we've ever published to have their game is it was like a community choice thing. I think someone that works at Kickstarter saw the capybara and was like, Oh, I like this. And like <laughs> click the button yeah. or something. So that was, that was luck. Um, that had nothing to do with the publisher, but okay. I do think our game would be less popular than it is, like it is without the publisher. Um, they, they've specifically done good work. Mm. I, you know, again, it's magic to me. I don't know how it works, but if you Google Arcania right now, first forty options mm. are us. I mean, and that's true with any game yeah. that they have. So I, you know, I can't. 
it used to be a company that makes colonoscopy machines. It used to be really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Un- unfortunate uh, for them, but fortunate for us. <laughs> there you go. I guess my thought leading leading into that question was, you know, with certain publishers, there's a focus on you know deadlines, and you want X done at X amount of time, and things like that. They can dictate certain aspects of your game. So that was kind of where I was leading with that. But it doesn't sound like that's an oh. element with this game. Yeah, uh, they have not really been particularly controlling of us there are definitely publishers uh that do that mm. from what i've heard but the big thing when you're in a position like us where you know we've been we've been screwing around with uh you know hobby game dev for a long time mm. but we don't know anything hardly about the industry is we we didn't even know what we didn't know mm. you know it, it was so talking to them has really helped guide us through a lot of the process uh like our, he mentioned our, our Kickstarter. And yeah, it was very fortunate for us that we got to the front page. But even that, I think, did in, in a roundabout way was because of their influence, because they more or less instructed us on, you know, building a good Kickstarter page, mm. on making a good uh, pitch, essentially, okay. and making it look professional. And uh, and it's not called wish lists on Kickstarter. What it, I mean, there's there's a thing where people sign up to your Kickstarter before it even goes live, mm-hmm. and I don't know that we would have understood the importance of that had they not been there to be like, hey, you need to get this going, and we need to build like a list of like you know 500 people who are already ready to go as soon as this is up, and we hit our initial ten thousand dollar goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was mm-hmm. hours. It was. It went by not, so not fast. even an hour. It was like that, twenty minutes. That would not remotely have happened. I don't think. If um, I, I think by ourselves, we probably could have met that goal mm-hmm. over the course of the month. Yeah, it definitely would not have been like instant like it was. You mm-hmm. know, and and the the quicker. A lot of people don't know this, but most of your Kickstarter revenue is made in the first three days and the last three days. Yeah. So. The more you get in the first three is sort of an indicator of how well you're going to do. Um, yeah, because it has momentum. Mm-hmm. And, and that just has to do with how Kickstarter, you know, like a lot of people are backing this. So we need to show more people, yeah. you know, because that they, they take a cut. So they want more money, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, so. Um, YouTube works the same way. Um, so I guess the lead out of that question would be, you know, we hadn't really touched on the gameplay for this game yet. You know, there's a lot of elements to it. You have your inventory system. There's different things tools you can use there's different weapons you can use so kind of walk me through the core gameplay and then we can kind of expand into the other stuff again if you've ever played a um 2d top-down zelda which i you know i'm sure most of your viewers probably have at some point that is your core gameplay right there so you've got um a a character who has a uh, an inventory full of like unique tools it's not it's not going to be uh, like a traditional RPG where, say, I've got all these equipment slots that give me stats and it just makes me swing my sword harder, uh, sorry, harder, mm. right? But uh, so the first item you get in the game is a lantern. And the lantern, um, you know, makes a big ring of light around your character, makes it a little easier to see at night, although not as important as it was early in the game because we initially, we were like, yeah, let's make the night mm. just like pitch black. So the game, but the game does have a day and night cycle? It does. Okay. It does. Um, so you have this ring of light around you, but also you can use it to reach out and do a little burst of fire mm. in front of you. And that will light enemies on fire. 
uh, but it'll also turn on like torches inside of dungeons and stuff, okay. which is uh, which is an important mechanic. Um, and then the next item you get, not counting the uh, not counting the sword, is a grappling hook, which you which changes the way that you move around the map because now you can hook onto things mm. and like shoot across gaps and stuff. And so uh, all of these items essentially give your character a new ability, and you can have two of them equipped at once. Um, and so most of the gameplay is going to be determining what two items are most beneficial for the situation I'm currently in. Okay. Um, which is, I mean, again, for a, a Zelda like that's, you know, your typical gameplay. Um, but then, um, can you craft those or can you upgrade them or is that not an element there? Certain ones, certain ones can be upgraded upgrades. Uh, that you can get, but I would say the majority don't. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a, you got it, and now, like, you know, y y that's the end of it. Nope. I would say the big difference between us and, like, a typical 2D Zelda is we wanted every single item to have a combat function. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like, the boomerang and Zelda stuns people, whatever. Like, right, that's, like, like that's a combat function, but we wanted... You know, if you wanted to like not use the sword and just fight things with uh, the grappling hook and you know the feather you get from the third dungeon that makes the wind around you, you absolutely can. I don't know that it'd be a good experience, but <laughs> you know you, you can. Yeah. That's so okay. Yeah, you can just like never touch the sword if that's what you don't if you don't want to for some reason, which is kind of a holdover from initially. The sword was an item, and you had to equip it. Uh, we've since changed it to. You know, we're like, well, we have all these extra buttons that don't do anything. Let's just stick the sword on one. Uh, we we did want it to be so that, uh, like he said, you you can fight with most of the items. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't fight with your consumables because um, they, you know, you drink them and then they're done. But yeah, you you can fight with pretty much everything else. Can you expand on kind of? I'm assuming it's just base kind of potion style where you have like health potions, things like that. But can you kind of expand on that and kind of walk through how that works in the game? I, uh, I, so we actually just talked about, uh, we, we were talking about like, eh, we need a couple more consumables. So what, like from side quests. Mm. So we were talking about one last night. Um, you have this energy bar. Okay. Uh, sort of similar to the magic bar from link to the past, but, uh, sort of anything you do, uh, uses it, uh, quick segue the, uh, to the core gameplay, you know, there is the couch co-op, but also if you're not playing couch co-op, you swap between Cappy and Marissa. Mm. They can teleport to each other at will. So if you're separated from each other, they can at will teleport to each other. But yeah. that drains your energy bar. So, you know, um, using your grappling hook uses a portion of your energy bar. Using the dash item that it is a big, like, water dash that you can do. It gives you iframes. It's really fun to use. The uh, That uses part of your energy bar. One of the things we talked about for a consumable last night was um, the, the Capybara King has a bunch of watermelons behind him. And if you could do a side quest to convince him to part with one of his watermelons, which would be difficult. Um, the, uh, the, the watermelon consumable will give you infinite energy for 10 seconds. Mm. So now all of us, you know, usually you'd be able to dash maybe three times and you have to wait for your energy to recharge. Um, but like, if you eat the watermelon, you know, so, so they have combat combat implications. Yeah. It's not just, um, all, something else. Every time you beat a dungeon, you get a dance, mm. The dances do different things, um, in, in, in not including, but limited, not limited to, but including puzzle solving, combat, uh, changing the time of day for certain things. You know, sometimes a certain monster will only show up at night, so you can change it to nighttime with the dance. Okay. Um, 
but the first dance you get is a, is the the fire dance the sun dance um and that actually makes it so whenever you swing your sword your sword's on fire so it it kind of doubles the lantern effect mm. and the sword effect uh on top of each other but every time you swing your sword when this is active it drains your energy which usually swinging your sword doesn't so in this case you could inc- massively increase the damage you're doing by drinking that consumable um there's one that makes you faster just run faster yeah. you know uh, it, it, there's, there's a lot of variety to it. I I'd say it's closer to like the witchers consumables than it is like Zelda consumables. Okay. Like Zelda is like just mana and magic or, and, and health, you know, the fairies and health potion, you know, so can you, can you craft those consumables like while you're within the level itself or can you only do it in kind of that, that central hub area beforehand? They you don't craft are, them, you buy them. Okay. Yeah. They're purchased from, uh, merchants throughout the world. And uh, so when you do a side quest to unlock a new consumable, mm-hmm. because most of them are gated behind side quests, uh, but when you uh, unlock that new consumable, it adds a merchant that you can now go to to buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I won't say never, mm-hmm. but there's there's currently no plans for any sort of like crafting in the game. Gotcha. I know that's like a big thing right now. Everything's got to have a crafting system. It, it just wasn't. It was too much it was too much wasn't in the scope yeah. of the project, you know. I have to ask, you guys took inspiration from Zelda, and one of the mechanics in Zelda is the weapons take damage and then they break at some point. Is that something that you guys incorporate no. here or no? No. no I, hate <laughs> I was going to no, say. So that's, that's actually <laughs> part of our motivation for making a Zelda is we don't like the direction. So, like, this is a, this is a spicy take. Mm. Like, Harrison and I are not fans of Breath of the Wild. Like, I wouldn't say, I don't think it's a bad game. Uh, but like, as far as like a Zelda game, mm. I don't. I think it's too different from the yeah, original formula. I, I uh, you know, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was I thought it was a good game. Yeah. But it felt like to me, it feels more like I guess a a Zelda themed RPG, okay, like, Skyrim, than an actual Zelda game, right? Okay, so. yeah, which is not bad. It's not, but like we we want our we want more you know minish cap like the past yeah that sort of thing gotcha. and, and but the formula because you know they they always had the formula for so long and they they rarely deviated from it mm-hmm. and and i know for a lot of people that kind of got old i'm still to this day i'm a big fan of the formula i like having the um you know here's your uh uh, you know, here's your key items. Here's your uh, your your seven to twelve dungeons, whatever they're doing that time. Yeah, like you know, it's predictable, but I like it. So, if I had to put you guys on the spot right now, which one is your favorite Zelda game? Then, Wind Waker. Uh, there you go. The Oracles, the two Oracle games. Okay, gotcha. All right. So, with that, I mean, then you mentioned co-op, so or couch co-op rather. Um, so with this game, multiplayer is always a challenge for any developer. There's a, there's a lot that goes into it and there's a lot of debugging and it's, it's a process all in its own. Have you guys ever considered having that co-op element where you can pull people from a multiplayer lobby or is that not ever going to be part of this game or not something you're considering right now? Again, I won't say never, but the chances of it ever having any sort of networked play mm-hmm. like that pretty low okay um, i, I think mean, we for so that you can drop in and out anytime so like at any point somebody can pick up a controller and take take over mm-hmm. uh cappy yeah but um so you said controller so it is controller compatible 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, in fact, it's in, fact, uh, in it, fact, we we want people to play it on controller, not keyboard. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, it, you can play it on a keyboard, and I mean, I've uh, all the content that is currently in the game, I've played through all of it on a keyboard. Mm-hmm. In fact, most days I don't plug up my controller. Um, it's not the worst thing, but you will have a better experience on a controller. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but anyway, as far as the uh, the co op though. Um, you know, so I, I watch a, uh, um, uh, game development YouTuber, uh, Jason Wyman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think something that he said about, uh, online multiplayer was, um, really insightful, which was basically however much work it is to implement a feature into a game, triple that if it has any sort of online functionality. Yeah, it sounds right. right? Yep. And so for two pretty inexperienced developers, we, we didn't want to even touch that. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, something to keep in mind, that this won't be true for consoles, which I think our game will probably sell better on consoles um, than it will on PC. But, like um, think, yeah. uh, but, but uh, on on Steam, they do have like the, the like cloud uh couch co-op mm. thing that they do so i mean it will technically be possible on the computer to to play i mean you might have a little latency but i'm you sure will... somebody will get it working yeah uh, yeah like like it, that's so it's it's we'll not like try it at some point yeah it's not like it's not something you could technically do mm. but it's not going to be built into the functionality of the game because it's out of the scope i you know maybe maybe if our kickstarter did you know three times as well as it did and we could hire somebody that knows about uh you yeah know, i mean uh, that's, that that's the big <laughs> yeah, that's we like, probably have to bring in somebody yeah. who their whole position on the team was just net coding okay well and then you've got more costs on top of that you know uh, even even with peer-to-peer you do have to have some servers to like you know yeah, make those connections yep. and so you know it just didn't make sense in the end yeah it, it was it's something we wanted to do but ultimately could yeah You'd mentioned the game has a it has a day and night cycle. So for me, you know, you brought up that certain bosses, they only appear at a certain time of day and like you can use the dances to get to that certain point of day. But outside of that, what is kind of the driving factor behind having that within the game? How does that how does that impact it? Honestly, for me, uh, the the drive to have that um, originally goes back to. When, when I was real young and uh, Pokemon Gold and Silver first came out, and that, I think, was probably... I, I hadn't played a whole lot of games at the time, because mm-hmm. I, I think it was like, I don't know, what, like eight years old. But um, that was the first game I saw that had a day-night cycle that affected like the the world that you were interacting with. I, I guess that's not true, because Zelda had a day-night cycle and you had certain NPCs that came out, but it was a much bigger deal in the Pokemon game yeah. where you wanted to like keep track of what time it was. And, and I thought that was super cool. And I've, I don't know this, it's just every, every project almost that I've, I've worked on in unity. One of the first things I want to do is I want to get the, uh, the, the sun to go up and down, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but uh, there's something really satisfying about it. But, but, but as far as gameplay, it, it does like, you know, different monsters will come out at night. Yeah. they will in and in, in more numbers in some cases okay and and you know i the treasure drop rate is a bit higher um at certain times in some places so it's, um, it comes down to like strategy almost how you want to approach the levels in a way 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The big reason it needed to be in Arcania with the design that we wanted, mm. um, and and with the story that we wanted was first of all the uh, Marissa's like childhood friend Ari. Um, she, in her her capacity as a priestess, she has a very strong connection to uh, to the moon, and it would be kind of weird to try to portray that without it ever being like nighttime yeah right? yeah that so. makes sense that makes sense okay so with i guess a lot of times when games have a day and night cycle they also incorporate weather um so is that part of this game or no so yes. it was originally a much bigger part but it is still a part uh we initially wanted to have a no kidding like a full-blown um like oracle of seasons uh, like the map changes with the weather and mm. stuff ultimately just ended up being way too big of an idea. So we scaled that back a lot, but we do still have mechanics that incorporate uh, weather. So like one of our dungeon designs mm. uses a, it, it heavily features a snowstorm as a mechanic, or there are um, also parts of the map where it will rain sometimes. Um, and, and so these things are similar to the day night cycle. Um, there are like certain triggers that are tied to the weather. And so it's like for this thing to happen, the weather needs to be this. You know, the one thing I noticed when I was looking through the stuff for your guys game, it seems like you guys paid a lot of attention to the menus and kind of like the inventory system menus and things like that. As you're kind of developing this game, it, maybe just from like pushing it out in terms of like a, a marketing standpoint, but it seemed like there was a lot of like minute attention to detail there. Um, so kind of walk me through what drove you to kind of create that UX experience for players and kind of, and what went into that from like a backend standpoint. I'm glad you took that because I, yeah, I've absolutely agonized over those menus uh, because honestly, if you go back really far, the early menus we had were kind of not good. Um, I think, I think most people will, you know, just to be polite, they'd be like, yeah, they're fine, but nah, they, they weren't great. Um, and so I don't have a whole lot of experience with, uh, you know, UI, UX design, mm -hmm. but I spent weeks just going, just looking at like every single game I had on Steam. And I, I found this, uh, uh, I, I wish this website had existed like a year ago, but there's this new website that, I can't remember the name of it, but it's just screenshots of UIs from different games. It's this huge image gallery that's just like, you know, here's the uh, uh, here's the options menu mm. in this game, or here's the uh, the start screen uh, in this game. And so I, I spent weeks going over all of that and trying to figure out like how do we make Arcania's UI not suck. <laughs> um, and, and it is it is really important to the game to have a good UI because so much of the game is this bag of treasure that you've got and you're going to spend a lot of time in that bag of treasure or at the the treasure shop where you're like you know moving stuff from like your bag to uh to the merchant's table yeah and if that wasn't good with how much of the game that is that could potentially ruin the whole game really so yeah we we had to nail it or else mm. uh it, 
just wasn't going to work. I think we covered quite a bit. Is there anything you kind of want to touch on before we kind of segue into the last few questions or, or like a mechanic or a character or a, or a part of development you kind of wanted to highlight before we kind of segued? I, I could point out that our, uh, our demo has more uh, individual music tracks than about just about most indie games do, period. Yeah. <laughs> and that's our demo. We've got a lot of... I think there's at least like eight unique songs in the first uh in the first hour of the game and and they're not so rob goes like really nuts on some of these tracks mm-hmm. um to the to the point where like sometimes we even fight over it or i'm just like you're like it's you good enough go, man <laughs> yeah you're you're going too hard because like yeah because sometimes i'll send him a request for like uh so we have uh and this is one of the ones you can hear in the demo uh, we have this uh, night theme that, that plays when uh, it replaces the normal field theme mm-hmm. when it's dark out. Yeah, um, and it's it's just this crazy intricate piece that I, and it's so long, um, and it's uh, I mean it's an absolutely gorgeous piece of music. Um, you know, when I sent him the request for that, I'm like, you know, hey, can you just take like the field theme and make it like quiet and on piano mm-hmm. and you know. Yeah. W- and and he comes back with you know this this huge uh you know composition and on the one hand i'm just like this uh, this feels like so much more than it needed to be but at the same time it's like you know it's 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 exciting yeah. because there are there are games out there that are i mean they're carried by the, like they 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 build a fan base just off of their music mm-hmm. um yep. you know undertale comes to mind like uh, um, i don't think i I'm... personally have never played undertale but I've heard the whole soundtrack multiple times, yeah. you know, um, the, uh, like, uh, like Toho is another one mm. where those games are just known for their music. Right. And, uh, before, before Harrison gets on a tangent and then, uh, talks me up too much. Cause I don't want people to get too excited. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not that good. Uh, but the, what, what I what I was trying to bring up is I feel like a lot of indie games don't focus on sound design as much as they should. Yeah. They'll maybe hire, you know, uh, X random Twitter, uh spamming composer that uh solicited them for like you know five hundred dollars and that and that and that person has no attachment to the project so they don't care about the sound like how it ends up melding with the environment or whatever you know like the 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 devil get like what is probably a good song but it could have been more special mm. because it be, if the person actually cared about the project yeah, or whatever yeah. connection to the project right so I, I i think that that is that is something that will set our game apart maybe hopefully i hope i hope people like my music no i think it but, i think yeah. it definitely will because most most developers they usually pull in outside sources to make their music for them and there's i wouldn't say that's a bad thing but i would say that there is some disconnect at times and i think when you make yeah. it in-house there's definitely you know you have the passion for the project, you know, the project, you know exactly how to approach it. So I think there's a lot of highlights there for sure. Yeah. Does that mean you guys have a soundtrack for the game too, that you're selling separate or how's that going to work? Yep. Okay. It, we will. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I've got three to four unique songs. I still have to write. Mm-hmm. And then, um, a bunch of different like rearrangements for different situations. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a killer soundtrack. And, uh, yeah, I think currently, the plan is because with our Kickstarter, we had a tier where it's like you get the game bundled with the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think currently the plan is when it goes up for sale on Steam, 
um, you'll be able to pay, you know, a couple bucks extra yeah. and get it's like you know, you've seen it on Steam before. Downloads and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like like a deluxe version that comes with the soundtrack and like a, a PDF of the art book we're doing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So one thing I noticed when I was looking through you guys' Kickstarter, and I don't know why it, it took me off guard, but you guys have a tier where I think you get the physical copy of the game too, correct? Yeah. Did I? Yeah. 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 And, what? And we uh, slightly regret that. I was going to say, what drove you to do that? Because I, I don't see that a lot and it, it's a unique thing to see. But Well, so the physical copy is PC only. OK. Yeah. And a source of confusion for a lot of people. But we, we got it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, the driving factor was Our getting those in. Told us to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More or less. Our publishers like, you know, people want, uh, you know, people want physical goods. I don't disagree with them. I think I think that they were right mm-hmm. uh we did see enough sales there that helped the momentum going um really it's not that expensive to fulfill but it does cut into your uh your your budget mm-hmm. which yeah. sucks yeah um well, it also I, it the so the awkward thing about it for us is that you know so with with like a digital version of the game um you know we can push out as many updates to that as often mm-hmm. as we need to yeah with the with like what's on the cd once it's printed that's what you that's, get that's it yep. that's you know so there's kind of a uh uh it, it puts a, a constraint on you mm-hmm. where it's like at a certain point you have to say like this is where the game is done um, right and, it, oh, and i mean uh, the physical copy will come with steam key and stuff like that but you know yeah, some people yeah. might not like that yeah. but some people don't want to download steam i i don't think the number of people that want to download steam is very large or that they're like oh i will never download steam i don't think that's a very large number of people but we don't want to let the people down that that bought that from us so it it is a challenge in that regard that you know even these days if you if you come up with a, a console game physical i mean obviously we didn't warrant that because uh, getting getting physical copies of uh your game onto the nintendo switch or whatever is very expensive mm. and hardly ever worth it unless you're just selling millions of copies yeah oh, those switch um, cartridges are ridiculous yeah so uh but uh, my, my point in bringing that up is uh e- even with the switch copy it, it, there is an expectation that you can like push updates to it mm. because it's not like a DRM three free thing because it has to play on Nintendo Switch, yeah. right? With with a physical PC disc, it's like they could install it and never get it on Steam and never get the updates. I mean, we we want to try to look into maybe offering up update downloads in like another way for them. Mm. Like maybe they come into our Discord and they're like, we can send them a Google Drive folder or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but but you know, I. It, Basically, the physical copies are going to be what they are. Gotcha. Uh, we're hoping people just look at them as a. Uh, yeah, I think it's a collectible. A collect- yeah, yeah, it's a collectible more than it is like a. You know, this yeah, is I mean, the game you can forever. Pop it into a CD drive and play it. It's DRM free. You know, if that's what you want to do. But yeah. I think the the idea was for it to be like a display piece. Okay. Basically. Yeah. You guys mentioned porting it over to consoles. So, can you talk about the consoles you want to port it over to yet, or is that not something you can disclose right now? Oh, we, it was, it's, uh, I think it's in our, our Kickstarter. So okay. yeah, it's coming to every console, the standard stuff like, uh, Nintendo switch, uh, oh. uh, PS, PS4, PS5. Um, I don't know what the current Xbox is called. Series X. It's series X. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, 
I mean, anything that was on the Xbox One plays on the Series X, mm, so like, yeah. it's it, it it's sort of the same with the PS4 and PS5. So like, we we do know that they will be on those marketplaces, mm. whether it's in the capacity of the PS4 marketplace on the PS5 or the actual PS5 marketplace, we don't know. Yeah. but it will be on every major console. Okay, um, and, not uh, no engage. Sorry. To, to, uh, <laughs> uh, we 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 get asked about the uh, the PS Vita a lot. Really? And, Which uh, is they, they yeah, don't even make those anymore, but people happen. ask us constantly. And it's like we can't we can't justify doing that. Yeah. If, if we yeah. Uh, but to briefly loop back around to um another question you asked earlier, um that's one of the, the really great things about Unity mm. is yeah, there's there's still a fair amount of porting work to do, but but the, the vast majority of it is is just like solved by unity because all of the um uh all of the back end stuff yeah just just making it run on the uh on on you know your desired system that's all handled by unity now you still have to make sure it runs well and that all the the ux stuff is adapted to that environment mm. um but just as far as like um you know you just want to get the game to like boot up on whatever system yeah unity handles all of that which is great when you guys made this game one of the things that comes to mind for me is steam deck came out back in february i'm you're, i'm sure your game is compatible just because it's controller compatible and, and i wouldn't see any other reason yeah. it wouldn't make it that but when you guys were developing it was that ever something that crossed your mind like we have to get it on that because that's something that's going to really bring it to more players I would imagine it wasn't as big of a criteria for you, especially since this game is going to all consoles, but did it cross your guys' mind at all? Uh, I think when we started on Arcania, I, I don't think the Steam Deck had even been announced No, yet. yeah, it didn't. Nah. Yeah, <laughs> so so, so I, I mean, it wasn't really, I mean, when when I saw it come out, I was like, oh, cool, maybe we'll sell more copies. Mm -hmm. so, you know, like, uh, I, I think it'll be uh, a great game to play on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we have, so neither of us have one, but our... Uh, our community manager just recently got one, okay. and uh, so we're going to give it to we're going to give him a build and see if he can get it get it going on there because that would be we cool. we have the resources to make sure it yeah. works on there. Yeah, so yeah. we're we're, we're going to try our best more or less. Yeah. Okay, so I guess the only other question about the game itself is: Do you guys have a release date at this point, a release window, something like that, or or not yet? No, we can't. We can't say anything. We, about we can't. That. Yeah, unfortunately, we can't. I mean, it's. We, would, we, we crap if I said anything. <laughs> yeah, we 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 are optimistically saying late this year, but you know that's optimistic. There's there's like there's a lot of politics that goes into releasing an indie game that a lot of people don't realize. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to make sure you're not releasing the same week as someone else's game that's overly similar. You got to do like like it's um, there's a lot of back end stuff. So y even even if the game was done today, yeah. You know, we still couldn't give you. I mean, there are a lot of indie devs that are self-published that are like, "Hey, my game's done; it's coming out." Mm. That's yeah. not that's not a very good marketing strategy. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, we we are trying to make enough money on this to do another game. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, we we don't care if we get rich; we just want to keep doing this. Mm. So, yeah, doing so, so, but, so, yeah. But I, I think, um, you know, part of what what Rob's trying to get at is it's like, uh. You know, imagine if uh, we like released on the same day as I guess it got delayed now, but like Breath of the Wild 2, yeah. right? And and so, you know, we're just this this tiny little indie group mm -hmm. 
that you know if we released like the same week as as a an industry titan like that and it's like nobody's going to hear anything we say because they're everybody's yeah. attention is on that yep. yeah, basically like any money our publisher would spend on marketing is just going to be it would be wasted because yeah so you nobody know. would you got you got to play around AAA. you got to play around other indie we got to yeah we we got to try to find that little niche where it's like nothing else is going mm-hmm. on and so there are some people who were like, you know, let's check out some indie games, right? Yeah. So no, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, that's that's really all the questions I had about the game itself. Um, the last thing that I really wanted to touch on, um, I I love asking developers this one because it's it's a unique question. It is a little bit broad. Well, it's not a little bit. It's extremely broad. But so th- you can really kind of take it a lot of different ways, I guess. With indie development, it's it's as big as it's ever been, right? You know, there's a lot of really positive attributes about it. You know, you can get into it really easily at this point. There's a lot of tools you can utilize to make a game on your own, um, which is really special. And it's something that hasn't been in the industry for the last, well, a- as of like a decade ago, it wasn't really part of the industry. So there's a lot of really, really good things that are part of the indie world. But with that, there's always some negative aspects to it you know you guys have a publisher right now it sounds like your publisher is doing a really solid job so that's not part of this however like when it comes to say funding or when it comes to marketing your game to your audience when it comes to toxic player bases when it comes to just learning development as you go um what is something kind of for you guys that could be improved within the industry as a whole so i don't know how you even could improve this um, it's a fairy tale dream yeah it can't happen yeah, but it's, it's more of a problem that you have to figure out how to work around mm-hmm. but uh, it is it is really easy for me to reach an audience of because because i do most of our like social media management mm-hmm. it's really easy for me to reach other developers and you know and, and hobbyists because like um you know if i put out like if i put something up on twitter with the um uh, you know, hashtag game dev, mm-hmm. right? Well, who are the people that are looking at that? Uh, they're, they're people who are interested in the development side of things. They're not looking for games to buy. They want to, you know, learn more about game development and they want to. So at, at least, at least broadly speaking, like there might be some yeah. people that are like, Hey, what, what are indie devs working on right now? Right. But, you know. but it's, it's, and uh, so I feel like most of the people that I, inter- uh, I end up interacting with uh, in marketing are either, you know, other developers who are curious about what I'm doing, or they are people who like stream indie games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's, that's like easily over half the people, um, that I think we're reaching is like streamers and, uh, you know, developers and hobbyists, but it's, it's so hard to get to, um, you know that the 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 guy who um you know just has like a playstation mm. and you know occasionally he'll see something on like the uh uh on the the playstation store yeah like um like a little indie game that kind of looks interesting um but he doesn't go onto like twitter to you know look for new indie games he doesn't read dev blogs um and it's it's really hard to reach that guy, even though that's like 
the most common person mm. that buys games. That's the person that you really want to get to. But it's like, how the heck we don't have the budget to put up like TV ads. We can't, uh, um, you know, we can't go out putting up like billboards and stuff. So it's yeah. like, how do we get that guy to know we exist? Mm. It would be more like, like, I think if there was like a platform that sort of segmented those two so you could tell who was who i think that would be nice um it doesn't really i mean it kind of exists like itch io is kind of that but there's no social media element to it yeah and i mean you know getting something like that to catch on is a whole nother beast mm. so you know yeah one thing that comes to mind for me is a developer i was talking to a few days ago his game got played um by a pretty well-known streamer um and essentially we were talking about how beneficial it was to have streamers do let's plays of their games and kind of like how that impacts the audience because his game had already been out at that point and he was at pax east and he was joking that you know like people would come up and about two all of them would be like you know i love the game and about two-thirds would be like i watched somebody play it i'm gonna go home and, and i'm gonna check it out later and then the joke being, you know, most of those people, maybe half of them actually didn't end up ever playing that game. They just enjoyed watching it. So I guess my question would be like from how you guys look at it, it is definitely beneficial. But I guess how beneficial from that standpoint would it be like, all right, let's place top priority for your marketing. Is it just something that's kind of on the back burner? How do you guys look at it? Um, so. I really enjoy interacting with the uh, the streamers mm -hmm. when uh, you know somebody messages us and is like, "Hey, uh, can I like you know stream your game or whatever?" Like, I'm I'm all about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how uh, beneficial it is because like um, you know we had a uh, uh, we had somebody stream the demo the other day mm -hmm. who uh, I think there was like four people watching. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, from a marketing perspective, it probably was not worth my time to, uh, to engage with that and, you know, to, to help make it happen. But at the same time, it's like, um, all eyes are good eyes, the personal enjoyment that I get from seeing, you know, somebody play our game and want to like you know share it with their audience even if it's a very small audience mm -hmm. um you know the the uh that's that's big to me yeah um it, so let's plays and stuff like that i mean if if you if a big streamer randomly picks up your game i mean that's what happened with like among us right mm -hmm is that game vampire survivors more recently too yeah, yeah it's like nobody had ever heard of these games until a big streamer picked it up yep. and now it's like you know among us just like prints money right yeah so uh it can be if you really strike gold um it, it can really you know make it for you and um and it, that's why even if you're not getting consistent returns on you know working with streamers and working with youtubers and stuff i still think it's it's always worth it to to try mm -hmm. um well because there is you know you're rolling the dice every time yeah. and it's like the more times you roll the dice the the better chance you have one of these is gonna like take off okay right 
Well, and, and something that Harrison and I sort of modeled our, our business model around was uh, community interaction. Uh, like, if you come into our Discord and talk to us, there's like a high chance you're actually going to affect the development of the game some in some way. Um, like, because we talk to people in our Discord all the time, and yeah. we even if our Discord were to grow to, you know. 10,000 members or whatever uh, we'd still want to try to do that as much as possible mm. uh, so I, I think that I, I think that that was inspired by how streamers interact with their communities um, but we want to do it in more of a direct way personally so uh, yeah you know, there's been a lot I, of changes I, made to the game that were just like somebody came into the discord and was uh, um, you know and, and had an opinion on something mm. and thought that's a good idea, and so you know, then we do it in the game. Yeah, so I, so I, I think I think that it's one of those things where it's like the uh, the idea of it is good, and yes, you can you know you can get lucky and it can work out for you, but you can also, like you said, it you know when the guy, hey, I saw this guy play your game and it looked fun. I'm going to check it out. You know, is he actually going to buy it? Mm-hmm. Probably not. He's probably going to forget about it by the time he gets yeah. off. Yeah, uh, and you know, if you look so. at it from the not from the business perspective, but just from the like the artist perspective, mm. though, um, it's like, yeah, when, you know that 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 person didn't go out and buy your game when they saw it, but the alternative was probably they just never saw it. Period. Mm. It's like at least now they know about you, yeah. um, even if they're not a direct source of income from you or for you, and uh, you know maybe they'll tell somebody else about it. Maybe like, hey, I saw this game and it was kind of cool, like. Um, and you know, it, it, it's the more people who know about your game, I think the better, even if not all of them are customers. And there may even be some people who are like, I thought about buying this game, but then I watched it on a stream and, you know, I either didn't like it or I felt like I saw, I saw the whole game cause I watched it on, you know, let's play mm-hmm. or whatever. And now they're not going to buy it. Yeah. I, I think that number is probably massively outweighed by the number of people who just would have never heard of your game period unless they had seen it on that YouTube video or on that stream and now there's a chance that they'll buy it.